Cultivating Place is made possible in part through the generosity of the Caddo Shaw Foundation. Cultivating Place is also made possible through support from the Garden Conservancy. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. We are now mid-May, halfway through a month of graduations, spring weddings, and Mother's Day is upon us in the U.S. this coming weekend. Something that all of these celebratory kinds of human-marked rituals and events have in common? Hmm. Well, we so often mark them with the best of our most loved flowers of the season. With that idea as a touchstone, I'm so pleased to once again be in conversation this week with Deb Brinsing, founder of the Slow Flowers Movement here in the U.S. and Canada, and of the Slow Flowers Society, representing the needs, successes, stories, and voices of the floral world. She is publisher of the Slow Flowers Journal, and she convenes weekly floral conversations in her Slow Flowers podcast. She's also the organizer of the annual gathering known as the Slow Flowers Summit, this year happening in Seattle, Washington on June 26th and 27th. As yet another facet of her floral-focused advocacy, Deb is co-founder and editorial director of Bloom Imprint Books, which identifies, develops, and publishes projects that shine a light on the floral lifestyle, showcasing the stories of floral personalities, creatives, entrepreneurs, farmers, artisans, and makers. Bloom Imprint's newest title is Furrow and Flower, that's F-L-O-U-R, by sisters Sarah Quenzi and Beth Cyphers. Their story fits right in with this week's themes. Deb, I do not know how you do it all, but I am so glad you're with us to share more about all of this floral wonder. Welcome back to Cultivating Place. Hi, Jennifer. It's so great to be back with you, and thanks for the invitation. You know, as we are in the real throes of spring and early summer, and we're we're coming up to this lovely holiday, I, I want to have you talk a little bit about the sustaining energy, even in the face of constant hardship and constant news cycles that throw us down and throw us off, Deborah, that you find in plants. Because I I really think that that is the essence of both the Slow Flowers movement and your new imprint. Mm. Yeah, you know, we um, have an annual um, kind of forecast that we look at through the Soulflower Society. Bloom Imprint partnered with Soulflowers on that one for 2023. And it really was a sobering moment to sit down and think about what do our members, which is represents 800 and 850 flower farmers and florists across North America, like what are people thinking about? And it, we do a survey. And of course, a survey is just a slice of people's like mindset at a specific time. But we asked, you know, have you changed or plan to change? what you're doing in your floral career or enterprise. And, and, you know, I really think the responses reflected that trend line with one third of our members saying that they are planning to launch a new product or service that they've thought about for years. 
At the same time, a quarter of the people said they're choosing to phase out a product or service they no longer enjoy. So there's this mm-hmm. like change, yeah. change that is um, we, maybe we've been holding our breaths for just a little too long. And you alluded to that with just like the, mm-hmm. the onslaught of information uh, about how hard things are for our fellow humans and um, communities and, you know, how much, you know, sadness it causes. And it just keeps bringing us back to the earth and it keeps bringing people who are in the floral and gardening space, you know, wanting to sink our roots deeper into nature and the plant kingdom and finding the healing qualities of both. So I think that the embrace of small and slow mm-hmm. <laughs> provides one path to sort of feel like we have control over that part of our lives. Of course, we don't really have control over our gardens. They have con- It has control over right. us. But, uh, you know, I think we're seeking to shed the burden of worry and redefine our lifestyles, you know, personally or professionally. Yeah. Yeah. And God, that resonates with me so much. And it resonates, I think, with so many of the guests I've had on the program. And and this dilemma, which is really at the heart of the Slow Flower Society and the professionals who gather there, is this, this conundrum of how do you make a living and still make a meaningful and good contributing life? Like, I like that concept because... I think we we need to place our values into some different arenas, even though we still have to pay the bills. Like, I think we can do both. And I think we are seeing people do it. And I think, again, that's, this is at the heart of the Slow Flowers movement and supporting business models uh, that are striving for exactly that kind of rebalance. Yeah, it's true. Another one of the concepts that I just will mention Mm -hmm. from our forecast, um, which I produced with Robin Avni, my partner in Bloom Imprint, was we called it creative waste. And we looked at how more consumers, especially more flower folks, are rejecting this throwaway culture and replacing single-use plastics for compostable alternatives and all these intentional choices that we have the power to make. And I know this has been at the root of a gardening ethos forever, right? We know how to take cuttings. <laughs> we know how to how to compost our eggshells. Like th- these are things that gardeners kind of have been way ahead of the rest of society on. But now in the floral space for flower farmers and florists, they're seeing their customers ask for this. And the customer is the mass, you know, the mass market, maybe, maybe much more progressive or sustainably minded than like people who don't care so much about local, but we're seeing major financial institutions or big accounting firms like Deloitte publishing a study that says that consumers are looking for innovative ways to spend less, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which kind of blows my mind. So um, spending less is not exactly like, let's go sell cheap flowers. It's more like, let's create value and meaning for how we move through the consumer marketplace. And uh, we're we're sensing that that's um, a special distinctive that members of the Soulflower Society can um, you know tell that story and connect with people on on something that's more than just a transaction, right? Because I think you know for every person or business or name we might know in the public sphere, whether that's on Instagram or on, you know, in a in a newspaper or in a magazine or in a book, for everyone that is really inspiring us to hold this meaning and move in this less consumer-driven, more purpose-driven way, 
you are also going to find 10 other people that are are selling you something that and or focusing on something that keeps moving us in this other direction and it's such a hard um mm-hmm. you know it's a it's an ocean of information that we are trying to navigate all the time and float into the schools of fish we believe in and that's a weird analogy but i think you know what i mean i think we all mm-hmm. feel that and you know we are also i think deborah still battling this weird mindset that flowers are somehow frivolous and flowers are somehow dispensable or you know something you pick up at the grocery store and you're done with in 2 days and yet you and i and every single person that we speak to in our you know different arenas uh, but that overlap a good bit also know that they are the essence of exactly what we're talking about in this mm-hmm. way of meaning and connection. And um, so with that, you know, I think I've belabored this point. It's just something that's <laughs> so on my mind right now yeah. and in yeah. my own work of of how do I not just founder in a kind of Pollyanna repetition of meaning, but really keep highlighting activities and um, communities who are making this kind of difference, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we can get all, you know, sort of nerdy and start uh, citing the nutritional benefits of edible flowers, you know, <laughs> and, or the healing benefits for people's, um, you know, skincare or whatever. I mean, those sorts of things are kind of tangential, but I keep keep learning more and more and like flowers really are they're really the answer and you know whether it's talking about preserving restorative practices on farmland Mm -hmm. because we're attracting pollinators um it's just you and i know this so yes and sometimes we have to like get out of our little bubble and stop and say okay but how can i articulate this to to trigger uh, curiosity in someone who maybe hasn't had a relationship right right with the natural world like we have and how do we keep moving that needle? And I would say flowers, flowers, flowers is a is a great sort of repeated mantra here. And so let's move into uh, where Slow Flowers Society is. You know, can you just give a little recap of Slow Flowers Society for those who might be new to this concept? Um, yes. Because I really want you to give us an update on, on what's happening and some of uh, the upcoming events. And then I also want to hear about the new Bloom imprint uh, title this spring, which I'm excited about. Lovely. Well, a lot of things are on a 10-year anniversary this year, Jennifer. Um, Mm. I I wrote a book called Slow Flowers that came out in 2013. Wow. I did Um, not know it was the 10th anniversary. Congratulations. (laughs) That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Which means that I worked on it about two years prior to that. So you really were up on, you know, I've been kind of in this in this world since 2010 but so flowers was a initially a term that i just started throwing around to describe the journalistic projects i was doing to interview flower farmers to talk about domestic floral agriculture against this sort of global floral marketplace and um wanting to kind of advocate for keeping things close to home thus the slow which is blatantly borrows from the slow food movement which has been around much, much longer. And I'm sure all of your listeners know about that whole farm to table culinary scene. Um, And so the book was just my attempt to create one bouquet a week for 52 weeks 
to be intentionally seasonal to cut from my own garden uh, for that arrangement or to source from local flower farmers here in the Seattle area where I'm based. And uh, that little book sort of birthed this entire lifestyle for myself as a journalist. Um, and now, you know, we've expanded to, we started slowflowers.com in 2014. So nine years ago, which is the directory and the, the membership we're talking about kind of, it comes through that is free tool for people to search for local flowers in any zip code, city or state or postal code or province. And that morphed into, you know, many other things, uh, American flowers week, which is the week leading up to July 4th, uh, inspired by British Flowers Week. I will give them full credit. They are a couple years ahead of us. And then, you know, I had started a podcast already right when the book came out. We're coming up on our 10-year anniversary of the Slow Flowers podcast. Thank you for being a past guest. <laughs> yeah. And so in 2017, I decided to launch the Slow Flowers Summit as a, initially was a one-day conference. And you were there as a guest. And our very first conference in 2017 was inspired by Amy Stewart, the author of the Flower of Flower Confidential, right. who had said to me, "Hey, it's the 10 year anniversary of my book coming out, which I think Flower Confidential, so would have would have been published in 2007." And she said, "If you if you do an event, I'll come speak at it." And bless her heart, Amy, you know, is a good woman to her word, and she came and gave us a wonderful mm -hmm. presentation as our keynote, and that kind of just set us off on this amazing journey of having this in-person human connection conference during American Flowers Week, which is otherwise a total virtual, you know, social media thing. So like we wanted to get the, wanted to get the people in the room who could make a, you know, a commitment to just gathering together to learn and, and inquire and inform and include communities that maybe hadn't been included and instigate disruption yeah, yeah. and be inspired. And so we're coming up on our sixth summit in June 26th and 27th uh, this year in Seattle, coming back to their original city. It's the first time we are back in Seattle. And I will just say we did take one year off due to COVID, but thankfully <laughs> we did gather in 2021 and, and you were one of our amazing speakers. It was so just, people are still talking about what a great experience that was. So we'll get you back, Jennifer. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Deb Prinzing is the face, voice, and heart behind the slow flowers movement here in the U.S. and Canada. She's with us this week to catch us up on all that's happening in the slow flowers movement just in time for Mother's Day. We'll be back for more with Deb right after a quick break. Stay with us. Cultivating Place is made possible in part by the Caddo Shaw Foundation. The Caddo Shaw Foundation funds initiatives that empower women and help preserve the planet through the rich intersection of environmental advocacy, social justice, and creativity. Cultivating Place is also made possible through support from the Garden Conservancy, a not-for-profit organization whose mission is to preserve, share, and celebrate gardens and America's gardening traditions. Inspired by the fascinating conversations that happen at so many of the Garden Conservancy's open days across the country, the Conservancy launched their Digging Deeper programs in 2015 to bring together intimate groups for unique and, in most cases, 
site-specific garden experiences. These Digging Deeper programs feature informative talks and workshops with experts from every facet of the gardening world. Forthcoming Digging Deepers focus on drought-sensitive design in Albany, California, a special tour of the mid-century industrial designer Russell Wright's home in Garrison, New York, and creative repurposing in gardens of San Francisco. Because that's what we like to do as gardeners, am I right? Dig deeper and dig in together. Enjoy. More information on the Open Days Digging Deeper events can be found at thegardenconservancy.org. Hey, it's Jennifer. So right now, in this conversation, in this season, it seems the perfect moment to share a favorite quote of mine from floral designer and architect of change through her flower and garden love, Lisa Wad of Flower House Detroit fame. The quote is this, flowers might not solve all of our problems, but they are a great start. I hear nodding and happy agreement from the studio audience. <laughs> We're back now to our conversation with Deb Prinsing, founder of the Slow Flowers Movement, co-founder of Bloom Imprint Press, and of course, devoted flower lover. As we come back, Deb and I are chatting more about the importance of gathering in celebration with like-minded people, as the Slow Flowers Annual Summit invites us to do, in order to refuel ourselves for the work ahead. Our host venue is the amazing Bellevue Botanical Garden, and you know they've just been fabulous partners in um, seeing that you know a sustainable flowers community belongs in a sustainably minded botanical garden. So we'll have two days of speakers. Um, every single speaker is going to do a floral design demo. We learned that, Jennifer, that that's what the audience really wants. So mm -hmm. you you dodged a bullet. You didn't have to do a floral demo when you spoke. <laughs> thank thank goodness for everybody. It, it would have been it would have been stand-up comedy at its uh, best. But no, I, I you, would have had fun. You, you know? would have done something really cool with native flowers, <laughs> I know. So we have three keynote speakers, uh Julio Fritas of the Flower Hat. He's based in Bozeman, oh, Montana. Great. Yeah. Rock star, florist, and educator and grower. And he's going to talk about growing flowers for your own wedding designs because he's really kind of created that farmer florist model that's specifically about driving your business. Mm. Um, another business presentation by flower farmer Lenny Larkin of B-Side Farm and Floral Design. She's a, a leader in the Association of Specialty Cut Flowers, Flower Growers as well. But she's got a she's going to demystify uh, the flower dollar and help break down like what the true cost of your flowers and designs are for both farmers and florists. It sounds a little nerdy, but Lenny is a phenomenal educator and she's, she's going to do it in a really fun way. It will not feel like math class. <laughs> uh, and then Amy Balsters of the floral coach, uh, who's a, 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 a teacher nationally known for bouquet design is going to present on build a better bouquet. Um, and then our second day, we have three professional tracks, and I we have a floral design track, a flower farming track, and a sustainability track. Uh, all of the presenters are Slow Flowers members, and 
with the exception of Valerie Chrysostomo of Black Girl Florists, she's going to be speaking on the floral design track, kind of talking about just the story of Black Girl Florists and how that organization's really just filling a void that's been ignored in our florals profession, you know, for so long. So I'm excited about those folks. And uh, there will be a floral takeover where Bellevue Botanical Garden has uh, given us carte blanche to do teams of our attendees will grab buckets of flowers and take a uh, half of a day to flower featured elements of the botanical garden, like a giant tree trunk and an arbor or a bench or a, a railing and just like bring local flowers into the sculptural realm uh, of a botanical garden. And then that will be available for the public to come see. Oh, that'll be so fun. And yeah. I'm hoping tickets are still available for anybody that's listening that might want to yes. take advantage of that. Yes. Okay. All the details are at slowflowerssummit.com. And I'm sure you can link to that. Right. And just think what a great present to give to a mother who might be interested <laughs> in this. Just saying. Yeah. You know, there are there are a number of mother-daughter farming teams who who are in our organization. So why not? Yeah. I'm just hoping my daughters are listening right now. <laughs> so I think that the educational part of it is is key, especially for young possible like would-be business people mm-hmm. to, to get a sense of the business mind uh, as well as the creative mind because you really need both and when you have sustainability as part of your imperative in starting mm-hmm. a small business like this is a fantastic network of people mm-hmm. to help mm-hmm. yeah i appreciate what you said about the mission driven business i mean we're we're responding to that in all all of our Mm-hmm. you know, intentional purchases as consumers. So mm-hmm. it's definitely present in Flow Flowers members. Definitely. Yeah. And then I would love to go to the Bloom imprint and remind listeners who might not know <laughs> or, or who know but don't remember, what is Bloom imprint and and why did you kick it off? Well, I like you, Jennifer. I am a, um, you know, an avid book person. I've written um, a dozen books over mm-hmm. my career in the kind of in the garden and lifestyle space. And I love books. I love print media. And I had worked with Robin Avni, my partner, uh, for another publisher producing books. And um, that kind of fell apart during COVID from for the other the other gig we had. And so we just looked at each other and we thought, we know how to make books. Let's just keep it going. And we, mm-hmm. we you know, some people, who knows, people l- learned how to, you know, create sourdough bread during COVID. <laughs> we decided to start start a book imprint. And our mandate is to publish books by and about Slow Flowers members. And so many creative people have a dream of compiling their create, you know, their art or their creativity or their their knowledge into a book. And so we saw that there was definitely an instant demand for, from people who wanted to partner with us and produce a book. And so we um we have a commitment to publishing in the U.S., so our books are printed domestically, which kind of isn't on brand for us. And we have published seven books since April of 2021. And um, the newest one, as we just referred to, is just came out. It's called Furrow and Flower, and it's by Beth Cyphers, who is a flower farmer. She owns Crowley House Flower Farm in in the Salem, Oregon area. And her sister, Sarah Kunzi, who is a, a amazing culinary whiz, 
and but they're storytellers. And um, that book is perfectly timed for Mother's Day for anyone who uh, who cares about family stories and who wants to have uh, a little sentimental uh, laugh about the foibles of childhood <laughs> and celebrate the the love of, you know, of motherhood. And um, so the book is kind of interesting. It's not a how-to book at all. It's not really like anything else we've published. It's a series of 24 essays moving through the year, season by season, family stories, life lessons, and inspiration from the garden and for the home. And Beth really ta- writes most of the essays about farming and, and the garden and, mm-hmm. and her path. And Sarah writes mostly about her love language, which is food and cooking. And then their niece, Emma May Dixon, who is still in her 20s, photographed the whole book. So it's kind of a family affair. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's sweet. And anyone who grew up in a big family will want this book because they... You said there were 12? (laughs) Yes, Sarah and Beth are two of 12 Martin siblings who were born over a 20-year period from the late sixties to the late eighties. And so um, it's kind of mind boggling for people, you know, who grew up in small families, but there's so much here that um, resonates even with my family with two brothers. There's a whole essay about the family summer road trip. (laughs) (laughs) Could have been written about the Prinzing family because, you know, when you're, when you're in a family that doesn't have a lot of resources, you do things like stop at the grocery store for lunch or you stay with relatives because you can't afford a hotel or you kind of lose track of, you know, <laughs> I don't know, personal hygiene. <laughs> There's all kinds of- <laughs> sweet. It's a very sweet, sweet story. So- Family summer road trip really like encapsulates all of that, I think. Yeah. 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 And then the, one of the most poignant essays is called the nine by 13 casserole which Sarah wrote, and it's sort of about um, handling grief and sorrow and loss um, and how everything is addressed by a showing up with a nine by 13 casserole to provide comfort. Yeah. And there's a recipe that goes with that one, of course. So there are 12 recipes in the book, which is really fun. So it's a wonderful little book. Um, The cover is covered in a giant bouquet of lilac from Crowley mm. House Flower Farm. And so, of course, it's a spring title. And of, and of course, we had to have it come out during lilac season. So um, I, people can find it at uh, bloomimprint.com or, um, you know, on any online ordering platform. Yeah. And I don't know, I, I can't remember if you made this clear, but it's furrow and flower, F-L-O-U-R, not (laughs) flower bouquet, which I thought was a lovely play on words. And, you know, the idea of sisters doing this together and and then you telling us about the niece doing the photography. I love that sense of family and community mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. that is often involved in what we grow in our gardens and why we grow what we grow in our gardens. Um, mm-hmm. And I think part of the essential value in some in some ways, whether what no matter what family means to you, um, that we 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 seek in that garden connection. Yeah. I mean, there's such an interest, um, especially among young people in, you know, haven making and homesteading and country, Mm -hmm. you know, country rural living that in a way having their niece and Beth's daughter, Riley, who's also in her twenties. She was the photo stylist having these 20 something uh, young women working on this project 
has been wonderful to watch because they're posting on social media what they're doing and bringing a different perspective, which us elders sort of forget, you know, that wonderment of discovering the lost arts of keeping a homestead. So we have big hearts for this book. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. And it's available now. It is. It came out on April 4th. And Furrow and Flower, F-U-R-R-O-W and Flower, F-L-O-U-R, is actually the name of a blog that Beth and and Sarah and several of their other sisters started several years ago. Mm. And that's what led to this, is that they were talking about gardening and cooking you know, with family memories, just on this personal family blog that kind of morphed into the idea of the book. And I love the, I love the alliteration mm-hmm. and um, just, you know, those, those words are, are really resonate with me um, mm-hmm. about what you do in the garden and what you do in the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of connotation there um, mm-hmm. that I think people will respond to. So that's great. So tell us seven titles Mm-hmm. Give us run down the titles that you have <laughs> you have published so far. Sure. And you know, I, I think some people will remember that I've interviewed at least one of them, um, Terry Spate, for uh her Black Flora book, which was fantastic. And I definitely think you and I mentioned a couple of the others the last time that I got an sure. update from where you were, but I, I don't think I know all seven. So I'd love to hear sure. a little bit more about them and and kind of what you're going for in this, the scope of your books? Yeah. You know, what we're trying to go for is to basically reflect this floral lifestyle that so many people are seeking either personally, just in their interaction with their garden or this desire to learn how to arrange flowers and and have it be part of a practice just like, um, I don't know, decorating your home mm-hmm. um, or cooking a wonderful birthday cake. So we've got that floral lifestyle for the consumer, but also the Slow Flowers member who is a professional. And so, you know, sometimes these books are very much personality driven by the author. The first mm-hmm. one, actually, just to get us started, I wrote the first book called Where We Bloom. Oh, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Which is kind of like, um, let's let's collect all the most beautiful studios, potting sheds, greenhouses, and shops that slow flowers, farmers and florists, you know, make their art in and collect that in a book. So that that was a lot of fun because I had previously written a book about garden sheds called Stylish Sheds in Elegant Hideaways. And this was sort of the garden floral version of that. Then our subsequent title in 2021 was A Life in Flowers by Holly Chapel. And Holly Hyder Chapel is a, a, a beloved uh, floral designer and educator in the wedding and event space. Mm-hmm. She she um, had so, oh my gosh, Holly had tens of thousands of, of images from weddings and events at her farm in Virginia and, you know, all around the DC area that we, we it was just ridiculous how many um, choices we had to put this book together really about her journey as a florist. And what she teaches through the uh, chapel designers, which is Hmm. an organization she has. And then in 2022, we went a little crazy. We did Black Flora (laughs) with Terry Spate. We also produced Growing Wonder by um, Felicia Alvarez of Menagerie Farm and Flower, Mm. kind of in Mm -hmm. your backyard. Mm -hmm. A very uh, comprehensive book to growing garden roses for the landscape or for floral design. It's just an incredible uh, 
reference book as well as beautiful. Then we also produce Small Farm Big Dreams by Jennifer and Adam O'Neill. They're flower farmers from Winterset, Iowa. And it really is a compilation of all the workshops that they already teach on their farm and their YouTube channel, which is very popular and just kind of took all of that intel and said, here's what to do when you want to get started with a flower farm, either as a hobby or hopefully as a business. It's a wonderful, again, another wonderful reference, kind of tapped into that lifestyle as well. Many people get into flower growing as a lifestyle and then it morphs into a business. And then Cynthia Azamaria, who's a a floral stylist out of Toronto and kind of really known in the sort of interior design blogging world and Instagram world, she uh, created a book called House and Flower, which is just stunning and it's really visually driven um, showing, you know, how her tenets of design and her tenets of interior design um, are, there's four of them and they really um, kind of, it's a different way of looking at interior design. She's saying homes have souls. That's one of them. You do you is another. Mother nature is the original stylist is the third. (laughs) And the fourth one, which I love is called trend less. And um, Mm -hmm. it's unusual that we did an interior design book, but there, there are flowers on every page because Cynthia rings the garden indoors. Um, I will say that because of all the disruption in supply chain that we've all experienced with books being postponed due to paper shortages, mm-hmm. uh, we've kind of gotten swept up in that. So some of these books are not available in print right now, but we have them all available digitally if they're oh, not in print. Yeah. Right. So I don't know, maybe we're going to ride that out and see what happens with paper prices, but yeah. It's kind of hard yeah. for a small publisher to compete with the with the mega publishers um for paper and time on the press, to be honest. Yeah. Well, and I think I, I don't know if you experience this, but as gardeners and floral lovers, we we have a lot of books. And so sometimes <laughs> we really do want that on our e-reader rather than on our bookshelf because we want the inspiration or we want the information. But mm-hmm. you know, like that is another balance. Yeah. Depending on which e-reader you're using, you know you you can feel like you're you're part of making things easier or um or not. Good point. And I, for one, and I know you know like my sisters and other friends are are very comfortable with a certain portion. On the other hand, there are those books that like I don't know twenty percent of books that I see that I'm like no, I have to hold that one. <laughs> hmm. I agree. I yeah. you know sometimes just the the. The tiny little Kindle that I have reading it um, is so small. If I am in an uncomfortable position, like on an airplane, <laughs> I can't, you know, I need the book. I need yeah. to be able to hold it as far away from my eyes as possible so I can read it. So <laughs> that might speak to our age, Deborah. Yeah, I don't know. I think, yeah. I think a lot is happening in, in book publishing. And, you know, we were just talking about that before we started about the consolidation and all. And I really, um, gosh, you know, Books are not dead. No. And the, no. I, the iPad did not kill books. So that is <laughs> that is the, the news to celebrate. I'll also say that our friend Lorene Edwards Forkner, who is, of course, uh, also a book author, she has a wonderful way of putting it when she says people want an artifact. Mm, <laughs> and that's yeah. the tangible quality. And I, I, I cling to that as well. Yeah. I frequently find myself reading a book on an e-reader and then saying, I'm going to go buy the book now. 
This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Deb Prinsing is the voice and heart of the Slow Flowers movement in the U.S. and Canada. She's with us this week to bring us up to speed on all that's happening in the Slow Flowers movement right now and just in time for Mother's Day, because Mother's Day and flowers, they kind of go together. We'll be back for more with Deb right after a quick break. Stay with us. Hey, it's Jennifer again, and I'm just going to keep going with this floral theme and cite another favorite quote, this time from British entomologist and biologist, and yes, gardener, David Goulson, author of The Garden Jungle and founder in 2006 of the UK-based Bumblebee Conservation Trust, a charity aiming to reverse the declines in bumblebee populations globally. When I asked Dave in our conversation a few years ago his advice to gardeners hoping to put their gardens to work on behalf of insects, birds, habitat reintegration globally, and happiness generally, his advice was this. Plant flowers. Plant more and more and more flowers. Make most of them native to your spot and overall just plant a lot of flowers. I think that's advice we can take to heart and take out to the garden. So enjoy planting more flowers this season, my friends. We're back now to our conversation with the founder of the Slow Flowers Movement and co-founder of Bloom Imprint Press, Deb Prinsing. As we come back, Deb and I are chatting more about the social, environmental, and economic agency of us as gardeners, as flower lovers, as growers and readers and publishers focused on using our love to grow the world better. You know, that is one of the bright spots that I see in something like Bloom Imprint, who, mm. you know, before it was it was mandatory, said, we are only going to print in the U.S. And mm. then COVID came and, you know, there was a dis- this supply chain disruption. And all of a sudden we realized that all our books are printed overseas and, and we're stuck now. Right. You know, so we are re-envisioning what a- economic cycles and systems could be in this more local way, in part due to leadership like yours showing the way to do it, either, Mm. you know, through the small models in the books and these individual business people, the actual imprint itself or the structure of the Slow Flowers Society. And that I think we sometimes miss the importance of if we want to change our economic or socio-political structure, we can start right where we are from our gardening impulse. I couldn't agree more. And I do think that, you know, sometimes it is uh, a little disheartening to see the flood of imported flowers that are still um, Mm. appearing on the, the shelves at grocery stores. But I will say that things have changed. And Evidence is staring them in the face, which it has been. I will celebrate that the major wholesale floral machine that's bringing, doing all the imports and selling to groceries, well, mainly selling to florists, but also, you know, there's people who are selling to big box retailers and that wire services and all. They are all aware that consumers want local Mm -hmm. and they're all making changes small and large to 
their sourcing practices. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not, not everyone is successful at it. Others are just paying lip service, but I celebrate the ones who are intentionally doing the hard work to create an economic relationship with local flower farmers, domestic flower farmers. And that is only because florists are demanding it and florists are demanding it because their customers are demanding it. So maybe we don't see it on the macro scale, but I'm seeing those anecdotal stories every day. And I'm really take comfort and, 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 and inspired that that's happening because that's creating business enterprises, mostly for women owned businesses all around the country who are creating their own, you know, entrepreneurial effort with local flowers. Right. Right. And those household economies, they affect the larger economy as well. And to see a greater diversity of women being supported and successful at these endeavors. I mean, on those days when I am completely disheartened and feel like, you know, I am saying the same thing over and over again and nothing is changing. I look at those exact examples and the fact that people are planting more natives, more organics, more flowers for pollinators, more, you know, more flowers for heart and soul and local economy. And then I say, okay, keep going. We're, this yes. is good. We, yes. this, it, every little bit helps. Mm. I yeah. couldn't agree more. And, you know, yeah. I think that when we, we do come up again, up toward Mother's Day and we're, we're I, I can't tell you how many, almost every person I talk to about their origin story in flowers and gardening has a mother or a grandmother or an aunt or a influential female relative who showed them the way. And in any culture, in any walk of life, and I, I think uh, that's that uh, shared heritage that is passed from generation to generation that you know, creates meaning, I guess. And it it brings us back to what matters. It brings us back to what matters. Exactly. So as you are looking towards the next summit in June and furrow and flower is out, anything else you should be telling us about that we should be looking forward to, Deborah? Well, the only other thing that I will say is because we've kind of pivoted away from print books, uh, until the, the, this paper issue is resolved. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robin and I have really uh, revved up the the publication of Slow Flowers Journal as a quarterly magazine. Mm. And um, that has been delightful because we're able to still tell stories and feature uh, creative um, people who are creating with intent and uh, celebrating their culture or their um, particular aesthetic. And so... Um, that is something that you can find at um, bloomimprint.com. And if you're a Slow Flowers member, it's available. The subscription is available for free. And then we also produce kind of a, a preview version that people can see and decide if they want to um, purchase a small, you know, purchase an issue for a small amount. I think it's like, I want to say nine ninety five. I could be wrong because I don't remember the numbers, but it's been, um, it's a way to keep the storytelling going mm-hmm. in in a digital format. So yeah. um, that there's no end to stories. And Jennifer, I, I get, I just mentioned this on my podcast a couple of weeks ago. I get asked constantly, how do you find <laughs> week in and week out? How do you find guests to yeah. interview? And I'm like, well, there's absolutely no shortage. And I know you feel the same way. Oh, yeah, right? no. And there's, there's not only not a shortage, but there is this enduring sense of urgency and desire to want to help people tell their stories, right? To give, you know, the people that are out there growing our world better, to give them the mic and say, tell me your story. And, you know, 
I, I just, I never get past the beauty of that exchange and, and the gift of people showing up for us to mm-hmm. share their stories and the insights every one of us gains from listening, you know, maybe not to all. I mean, I, I know we all can't keep up with every podcast episode right. every week, right. but, you know, but then you go on a trip or you're out on a walk or, and you just hear the ones you're supposed to hear, I think. Absolutely. And it's it's an, it's an evergreen mm-hmm. uh, archive that is always available. And that's yeah. kind of amazing to look back at the body of work. Of, oh, yeah. And yeah. I just think when you talked about a gift of people telling their stories to us, I agree completely. And I also find that most people have never really been on the media before. And so to hear themselves in a recording... It, so many people have said to me, wow, that is, I was afraid to listen to myself and my voice, but it's so empowering mm-hmm. for me to hear me, hear myself speak. And I love that. I love knowing that, you know, we're providing just this little platform to empower our yeah. guests. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's very, it, it, I don't know, it's just very encouraging. And it's like, okay, that's why I'm getting up in the morning mm-hmm. to do this. Yep. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So I want to end with uh, my new favorite question, which is at this moment in your life, in your garden, what are three to five flowering plants, because we're all about flowers today, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. you really, really would not want to garden or or live your garden life without. Oh Deborah. my goodness. Share oh my that goodness. share that with I listeners. I will. I will. <laughs> um this is really timely because I decided to start in 20, 2023 I decided to start over my whole slow flowers book. So every week I'm replicating something <gasps> that I designed 10 years ago um and trying to see if I can upgrade my skills. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I'm looking at what was blooming in my garden 10 years ago and um, do I still have it? I've moved. So maybe I don't. Uh, one flowering shrub that I would not do without is um, Viburnum tinus, the, um, uh, you know, the uh, snowball Viburnum, which is starting to bloom in my garden in a with small buds that will be lime, acid lime green, but eventually it will become a white puff of of clouds that you know as it matures so it has a lot of um purpose for floral design um the other is also a flowering shrub and that is pieris japonica the lily of the valley shrub um i have three of them they do not grow as fast as i want them to because i love them at this stage uh when they're they've got those sort of little tassel like flowers that are look awesome and last forever in a vase um my lilacs are coming on. I see them hinting at blooming. So I'm really happy about that. This The lilac sensation is the first one that I planted when I moved into this garden in 2017. And it's as tall as my greenhouse now. It's amazing. Mm. And then on the flowering side, I will say I am waiting patient. Well, my anemones are blooming. Mm-hmm. My panda anemones, they did come back. And I'm I'm waiting patiently <laughs> for my tulips to bloom. And I, I, I can, I can never have enough tulips because they're just, um, they're just the thing that we wait for and really mark that spring is really here. So, um, they're green and they're going to bloom soon. So those are five. I could keep Good. going, but that, that, that's got me going here. That's a beautiful right there. That is a beautiful mother's day arrangement. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. I hadn't thought about that. Oh, well, thank you very much for your time and your just your enduring work out there mm-hmm. in this world. It's been such a treat to have you back on and happy mother's day. 
Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you so much. And I will, I will say happy Mother's Day to you too. Deb Prinzing is the founder of the Slow Flowers Movement here in the U.S. and Canada. She is the founder of the Slow Flowers Society, a group which represents the needs, successes, stories, and voices of the floral world in their Slow Flowers journal and in the weekly Slow Flowers podcast. The Slow Flowers Society and Deb Prinzing annually organize and gather around an event known as the Slow Flowers Summit, which in 2023 will take place in Seattle, Washington on June 26th and 27. Along with her colleague Robin Avni, who serves as creative director, Deb is co-founder and editorial director of Bloom Imprint Books. Their titles include their newest, Furrow and Flower, that's F-L-O-U-R, written by sisters Sarah Quincy and Beth Cyphers. Speaking of plants and place this week, I of course have to offer out a flower. And I'm going to circle back to one mentioned in last week's program with Camille Dungy as being beloved in her Northern California garden. That flower is Liatris. The close to 40 species of the genus Liatris are also known affectionately as gay feather, snake root, or my favorite, blazing star. Liatris is a genus in the aster family, Asteraceae, and prized as a native plant across much of North America, Mexico, and the Bahamas. According to the Native Plant Society of Texas, of the 38 known Liatris species, 27 are native to Texas. Sadly for me, there are no Liatris native to California, but as there are a good handful of these species native to other warm, dry western states, including my birth state of Colorado, where I loved meeting its bright rose-purple spikes of fluffy flowers in the wild, I would certainly consider many of the Liatris species for my garden here in Northern California. Most of these drought and lean, rocky soil tolerant prairie species are adaptable and undemanding in garden situations, and they provide mid to late summer and even fall bloom when we and our migrating or resident wildlife often need continued bloom the most. As well, Liatris species provide the sole food source for the larvae of moths of the Skinia genus. The blooms make great cut flowers if you have enough to spare. And I say this because the great joy of these flowering perennials is how much the birds, bees, and butterflies love them for their nectar. The sight of one of our swallowtail butterflies nectaring at these colorful clump-forming flowers is a treat you will want to see over and over again. 
herbaceous and, as I said, clump-forming, liatris are winter deciduous perennials, and they bear small disc flowers, meaning that each individual flower has no ray petals on them. They are pollinated by insects with long tongues that can reach the nectar at the very bottom of the tubular flowers. These small flowers form many tight clusters on their upright one to two foot stems. Liatris are born from corms or rhizomes and therefore they can be attractive to rodents. So if you're concerned about this, plant more of them or plant in cages or both. The spiky foliage of these stems can provide textural interest in the garden throughout the spring and summer before the blooming begins. And the seed head stalks can be left for winter interest in birds until cutting back in late spring once soil and air temperatures have warmed and any overwintering creatures have emerged. Rocky Mountain Blazing Star is Liatris ligulostylis. Dotted Blazing Star is Liatris punctata, native from Alberta, Canada, down to New Mexico and east to Missouri. Rough Blazing Star, also known as Liatris aspera, can be found across eastern North America. Cusp gay feather, Liatris mucronata is sometimes called Texas gay feather, and Liatris spicata is also known as marsh blazing star or snake root. A prairie and foothills plant comfortable in lean soil, high and persistent heat, open exposure, and arid, rocky conditions. According to Texas gardener Bob Camper, the worst thing you could do is give Liatris additional fertilizer, soil amendments, or water. But the best thing you could do is give any one of this beautiful and ecologically functional genus to your loved ones for Mother's Day, Father's Day, graduations, or simply because it is a beautiful spring or early summer day in your garden. Join us again next week when we kick off a multi-part seed series, beginning with a look at our national and statewide seed conservation strategies, starting in conversation with Andrea Williams, Director of Biodiversity Initiatives with the California Native Plant Society. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, a service of CAP Radio, licensed to Chico State Enterprises. Cultivating Place is made possible in part by listeners just like you. Through the support button at the top right-hand corner of every page at cultivatingplace.com. Cultivating Place is also made possible through the generosity of the Caddo Shaw Foundation and the support of the Garden Conservancy. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler with weekly tech and web support from Angel Haracha. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, Enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.